All right, welcome back. We are in our second week of our financial one things process. And uh, this is the second part of a 10-week series on finances that I'm going to be delivering in the months of January, February, and March. And if you could turn your Bibles to the book of Psalms, to the 112th chapter, Psalms 112, verse 2, we're going to look at the focus for today. And while you're turning there, I want to say that if you missed last Sunday's message, I want to really encourage you to go to our website and pick it up. If you go to our Living Hope Facebook page, it's always posted on the wall there. You can download it and listen to the message and share it with your friends. It's a very, very important message. It's foundational for everything else that we're going to be talking about in this series. Now, we said before that we believe God is taking us into greater and greater levels of blessing, and that this month and in this series, this year, we're going back to the blessing. That's our theme for the year. And I believe that this series is foundational for what God wants to do in your finances. You know, what I find is that there are several areas in which the people of God are being tormented by the enemy. And one of the primary areas in which people are being tormented by the enemy is finances. I think a second primary area is family, and that's why we're going to hit on the family one thing in May, June, and July. But right now we're going to start with finances. What we want to do is break free from every form of financial torment that the enemy would bring upon the people of God. But we laid the framework for this last week in a message entitled, The Land of Blessing. And the, the, the message, the point of the message that we laid down last week was that God will bless you, but only as long as you reside within the land of blessing. And it's very, very clear that we understand that all of these blessings that we're going to talk about here in Psalm chapter 112, they come to the man who fears the Lord and who takes great delight in his commands. And so we need to keep this in mind throughout this series so that we continue to reach for greater and greater levels of the fear of the Lord and delight in his commands. But today we come to verse 2 of Psalm chapter 112, and this is what it reads. His children will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. His children will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Everyone repeat after me. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who takes great delight in his commandments. Slowly, slowly. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who takes great delight in his commandments. Together. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who takes great delight in his commandments. Once again, blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who takes great delight in his commandments. Repeat after me. His children will be mighty in the land. Once again, his children will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Say it. The generation of the upright will be blessed. His children will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Say it. His children will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Once again, his children will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Now put your, your Bibles down. Stop looking at your phone. Stop looking at your tablets. Just look me in the eye and say it with me. His children, come on together. His children will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Once again, his children will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Let's pray. Father, today I pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you would open our ears to hear the power of this promise that comes straight from your throne. 
Lord, our children will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. God, this is a promise that you are giving to the people of God, that you are restoring it. And Father, today I pray in the name of the Lord Jesus that you would press the words of this promise to my lips like a trumpet. And by the power of your spirit, give me the breath to blow it, to sound it. Lord, that it would sound in the ears of each and every one of your children today, God. Father, I pray that you would teach us what it means to build generational wealth. I pray it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. Now, the title of today's message is Generational Wealth. Generational Wealth. Now, isn't it interesting that the first concrete blessing promised to the man who fears the Lord is a blessing upon his children? Isn't it interesting that if you read Psalm 112, like I asked you to do last week, if you went home and you read every verse of this psalm, of this chapter, you've noticed that there's many, many blessings, blessings upon your finances, blessings upon your endeavors, blessings upon your household, blessings upon all of the things that you set your hand to, safety and provision, and all of these things are promised in this chapter. But before God gets to bless any other aspect of your life, the first promise that he promises to the man who fears him is a blessing upon his children. Before the promise of money comes in verse 3, the promise of offspring comes in verse 2. You see, the fundamental blessing of God is not financial blessing. The fundamental blessing of God is not a new car, not a new house, not a better job. The fundamental blessing of God is an inheritance of righteousness passed down to your children. That is the fundamental blessing of God. And that means that wealth is generational before it is generated. You hear me? Wealth is generational before it is generated. You see, before God promised Abraham riches or land, he promised him that his offspring would be like the sands of the sea. Before God promised David money or land, he promised him that he would never fail to have a son sit upon the throne. You see, if you really want to possess God's blessing, you've got to embrace its generational character. The blessing of God is generational in character. Now, before I go any further, I want to acknowledge the fact that many of you already feel like this message is irrelevant to you. Either you're way too young to be thinking about having kids or you're way too old to be thinking about having kids. You know, some of you here are just so young. I mean, there's probably a handful of you here that, you know, you're right at that childbearing age. You know, maybe there's even a couple of couples here that's praying that you might have a kid. You know, and some of you have young children in the home. But others of you, you're maybe some of you here in high school, you ain't thinking about having no kids. I hope you're not thinking about having kids. You know, the devil is a liar. Right. And then others, of you say, I'm 83 years old. I'm not thinking about having no kids. Right. And so you might feel like, well, if this message is about generational blessing, then that rules me out of it. I'm not included in this because I'm not having any kids. My childbearing days are over. Or maybe they passed you by and you never did have any kids. So you say, what does this message have to do with me? Well, I'd like to draw your attention back to Abraham for just a moment. Isn't it interesting that God promised Abraham offspring 20 years before he was going to give him any? I mean, think about that. God promised him offspring 20 years early. 20 years early. Now, Abraham just happened to be bearing a child, you know, having a kid when he was 100 years old. You're not going to be no 100 years old. But if you're at least five years old, then the blessing of having children could be within 20 years for you. And some of you are 15 years old. It's much less than 20 years. So for God to speak to you about generational wealth in your in your 15 years old or your 20 years old, it's a lot sooner than it was for Abraham. Abraham had to stew on that promise for 20 years before it came to pass. It's not going to be that long for you. 
But what about the older people? You say, well, what? I'm, I'm well beyond uh, childbearing age. Well, so was Abraham. Matter of fact, Abraham was 80 years old when God gave him the promise. 80 years old. And he was a hundred when it came to pass. Not a hundred, a hundred. Right? So Abraham represents two different categories of people. The first feel that having kids is way in the future. And the second feel that having kids is way in the past. And in speaking to Abraham about his offspring, God says to both the first and the second category, I don't care how old or how young you are. If you want to walk in my blessing, you've got to begin to think generationally. What I'm saying to you today is I don't care how old you are. I don't care if you've already had kids or haven't had any kids. I don't care if you're too young to think about kids or too old to think about kids. Or right in the middle and don't want any kids. If you want to possess the blessing of the Lord, you must understand it's generational character. Amen? So if you're young, you need to be aware already that the way you are thinking and what you are doing now is preparing you for parenthood. The habits you are forming now and the decisions you are making will affect the way you raise your kids. The things that you teach them and ultimately will influence the outcome of their lives. Already, I don't care if you're 10 years old, you're developing habits that one day will influence the way you parent. So you've got to begin to think generationally even at a young age. But secondly, if you're old and either have no kids or your kids are grown and gone, you're still an elder in the house of God to whom the younger generation is looking for wisdom and guidance in order to achieve their destiny. So you can't stop thinking generationally just because your natural kids are grown. Now, we've talked a lot about generating wealth, generating wealth. How do I generate wealth? We need to begin to talk about generational wealth, not generating wealth but generational wealth. See, your goal is not to generate wealth. Your goal is to generate generational wealth. We're talking about generating generational wealth. And this is what the blessing is. Blessing is not an immediate allocation for present wants and needs. See, that's provision. We've talked about this. Provision is about sustaining you in the now. Blessing is generational by its very character. And so the scripture says his children will be mighty in the land. His children will be mighty in the land. This is a promise, a promise that I stand on when I pray for my daughter. His children will be mighty in the land. You see, there's a progression, a divine acceleration that functions generationally in the line of righteous parents. The fundamental generational promise that God makes to parents is that if you teach your children the way... They will always walk in it. This is the foundational promise that God makes to godly parents. Proverbs chapter 22 verse 6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Train up a child in the way he should go, and if he is old, he will, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. This is the ground level promise of God for your children that you should stand on every day. And I don't care if your children seem to be running wild right now. I don't care if you've got a bunch of hooligans running around your house. I don't care if your kids are running the street. I don't care if they're acting up in a thousand different ways. You need to wake up every morning and stand on this promise. Instead of crying about what your kids are doing wrong, you need to come into the presence of the Lord and declare, Father, you promised me that if I train them in the way they should go when they're old they will not depart from it and I declare my children are not going to depart from that way my children are going to walk in that way like Joshua said as for me and my house we will serve the Lord 
Now, one of the problems is, is that parents say this to their kids. Some Christian parents say this to their kids instead of saying it before the Lord. We think we have power when we look in our kids' eyes. I don't care what you want to do. You're going to do what I tell you. You are going to walk, you are going to walk in the way. And we get up in our kids' faces and, and we, we talk that way to our kids. Now, I'm not saying you don't take authority in your household. You're supposed to take authority in your household. But you've got to understand that the power of this blessing is a power that is activated before the Lord, not necessarily before your kids. You see, in some situations and circumstances, you're going to look your kids in the eye and you're going to see that they're not going to hear a word you say, so you're not going to say it to them. You're just going to look at them and smile and then go into your prayer closet and stand on your word and say, no, my children will be mighty in the land. Lord, you said that if I train them in the way they should go when they're old, they will not depart from it. So, Lord, I just declare your promise is true. They will not depart from it. And you know what? If you continue to declare that over your child, you continue to pray that over your child, I don't care how far they go, even if they're scattered to the furthest heaven, God is going to bring them back and gather them back, and they are going to serve the Lord. I've seen it with my own eyes. Amen? But blessing is yet a greater reality. Blessing is greater. It's not just that your kids are going to be saved. It's not just that your kids are going to know the Lord. It's not just that your kids are going to go to church when they're older. Blessing is more than just this ground level provision that your kids are going to be saved. They're going to be in heaven when you get there at the end. It's, it's greater than that. God, it says his children will be mighty in the land. Your children are not only going to be saved, they're going to be mighty. 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 Your children will be mighty. Do you know how powerful that word mighty is? The word in the Hebrew is the word gibur. Look at your neighbor and say, Gibur. Say it again, Gibur. The word was used of the mighty men of valor in Joshua chapter 1, verse 14. It was what the angel of the Lord called Gideon in Judges chapter 6, verse 12. Greetings, mighty man of valor. Mighty man, mighty, Gibur. It was used of Boaz in Ruth chapter 2, verse 1, and of David in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 18. And it was how the psalmist described God. In Psalm 24, 8, who is this king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, strong and gibur. The Lord, mighty in battle, gibur in battle. He is the king of glory. So that word gibur, mighty, it has a very powerful connotation. Your children will be mighty in the land. Now the term gibur, that term mighty, it bears the sense of impetuousness. Do you know what impetuousness is? When someone is impetuous. Impetuousness is the ability to move forcefully and rapidly. Someone who's impetuous, they're not stopping to think things through. They just, they're just moving. They just walk into a room and they, they, they shift things. They just change things. They just move things. There's kind of a level of expertise that comes with impetuousness. In, <clears throat> an expert leader that's impetuous can just walk into a room and say, change that, change that, change that. You know, there's this, this sense of impetuousness we see. One of my favorite shows is Lie to Me. And in Lie to Me, you know, Dr. Lightman, he's got this impetuousness about him. He just walks into a room and goes, what do we got over here? Okay, what do we, okay, do this with that. Do this. I mean, he just moves, boom, and he solved the whole crime. Other people, they're sitting there and they're pondering for like hours, you know. They're looking at the screen. What do you think? Do you think he's lying? Dr. Lightman walks in and goes, he's lying. He's telling the truth. You know, there's just this, this ability to move forcefully and rapidly. That is, there's an acceleration to their success. His children will be mighty in the land. His children will be impetuous in the land. That is, they will move forward with forcefulness, with rapidity. They will move. That is, there will be an acceleration 
to their success. You see, the blessed man, the blessed man may have acquired blessing through a painstaking and painful process. But his children move quickly and are blessed abundantly. With each new generation, the blessing moves even more quickly. What takes you 20 years will take your children five years. And what takes them five years will take their children one year. And in fact, there are certain things that you paid a high price for that you'll be able to give to your children free of charge. Why? Because they're mighty like that. Amen? So the blessing accelerates generationally. The blessing accelerates generationally, just like technology. You remember the iPhone 1? Right? It was tight back then, right? It was tight, right? If you had an iPhone 1, I remember my friend showed it to me. I was like, wow, that's amazing. But how many want an iPhone 1 right now? Just by show of hands. You say, I want that iPhone 1, right? There's been a generational acceleration. When we say iPhone 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, you know, 4S, 5, 5S, we're talking about generations. That's what 5 means is the, the fifth generation iPhone. Isn't it interesting that they use the language of inheritance in the realm of technology, right? Right. Each generation, and this is, this is how there's generational acceleration in the realm of technology. Each generation gives everything that it has to the next generation. It doesn't tell the next generation to start over from scratch. What if the makers of the iPhone 1 said to the makers of the iPhone 2, which is probably another team in the same department, look, y'all can't use what we got here for the iPhone 1. You got to start from scratch. You got to figure everything out. No, the iPhone 2 presupposed everything that the iPhone 1 possessed and built on that platform. The ceiling of the iPhone 1 became the ground floor of the iPhone 2. That's what it means that blessing is generational. It means that everything you do, everything that you acquire, everything that you have becomes the ground floor of blessing for your children. It means that your children are mighty in the land. It took you years to get it, but your children walk in it as a matter of course. Why? Because they're mighty like that. Come on, somebody. See, we must begin to think in the church the way they think in the realm of technology. Proverbs 13, 22 says, A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. How's he able to do this? I'll tell you how he was able to do that. Because when he got money in his youth, he was thinking generationally rather than materialistically. See, he knew that the purpose of the blessing of the Lord was not simply to enhance his present experience, but rather to establish his legacy. You know, I had a a brother walk up to me. He was a good friend of mine from college. He walked up to me after after service last Sunday morning, and he he shook my hand. He said, Pastor, I'm so glad with Benjamin because we were friends in college. He said, I'm so glad you're talking about money. This is what I've, I've, I've been crying out to hear a good series on Monday, money. And I'm just so thankful that you're talking about this. He said, but I had a thought. He said, you know, in every church, they're talking about the 10%, but nobody is talking about what to do with the 90%. Yeah. Every church. Cause, and so what the believers in Jesus Christ just think is the 90% is fair game. Yeah. 10% belongs to God and the 90%, I do whatever I want with that 90%. <laughs> And what we got to keep in mind is that with the 90%, your first priority is to think generationally, not materialistically. After you put your tithe in the plate, the next step is not to think about what kind of car you can afford now. The next step is not to think about that new suit that you want. It's, it's to move beyond materialism and begin to think generationally. The 90%, the purpose of it, the first purpose of it is to establish your legacy. 
Unfortunately, by and large, we don't think this way in the church, at least not when it comes to money. Instead of allowing the blessing to accelerate, we try to accelerate the blessing. See, the blessing is supposed to accelerate the lives of your children. It's supposed to accelerate the success of your children. The blessing comes, and when it's generationally passed down, it accelerates the success of your children. The problem is, instead of allowing the blessing to accelerate our children, we're trying to accelerate the blessing. You say, how do you accelerate the blessing? Well, it's easy. I call it credit. (laughs) Credit is the means by which we seek to accelerate the future blessings of God. That is, credit allows me to have now that which God has perhaps desired to give me later. Now, wasn't that the temptation of Jesus? Bow down to me and all these nations will worship you. Well, they're going to worship me. (laughs) Satan offered Jesus credit. Not now. Throw yourself down and the angels will catch you. Well, yeah, the angels are going to catch you, but not now. It wasn't time for it yet. And when we use credit to accelerate the future blessings of God, what we're actually doing is mortgaging the inheritance of our children in order to satisfy a contemporary itch. I'm trying to scratch an itch that I have now, some materialistic itch. I want to scratch it, scratch it now. And what I'm doing is I'm borrowing from the inheritance that I should be setting aside for my children in order to scratch a contemporary itch. Now, don't get me wrong. There is such a thing as good credit. Okay. There is good credit and there is bad credit. But credit, by and large, is the antithesis of blessing. You've got to get this in your mind and heart. Credit is, see, my, you know, I have family members who used to get credit cards in the mail and they say, oh, the Lord blessed me. Look at this. That ain't no blessing. That's called slavery. You might as well got a postcard from Egypt. <laughs> you know? The scripture says that the blessing of the Lord maketh rich. I love the King James Version there. The blessing of the Lord maketh rich. And riches has to do with what is stored. See, your riches reside in your reserves. Your riches reside in your reserves. If you, if you have no reserves, you have no riches. Your riches resides in your reserves. And that's really the difference between a poverty mentality and a, and a wealth mentality. If you give somebody with a poverty mentality $10,000, the first thing they're going to do is look for a way to spend $10,000. You give someone with a wealth mentality $10,000, the first thing they're going to do is look for a way to invest $10,000. Why? Because... People with a wealth mentality are more interested in their reserves than they are in their materialistic enjoyment in the now. Now, as a nation, we fail to think generationally in the realm of finances. The average American household saves less than 5% of their income. The average American household. Go to India, and it's a completely different story. The average Indian household in India saves more than 30% of their income. The problem is putting money away is not a priority for Americans in general. And that is because we got to get yours mentality. You remember that Tupac song? I got to get mine. You got to get yours. I know you remember it, Guillermo. I got to get mine. You got to get yours. I got to get mine. You got to get yours. I got to get mine. You got to get yours. I got to get mine. 
Get yours. Remember one of the one of the uh, the verses in the song was, "I keep my mind on my money, my money on my mind." And then, yeah. That was back in my sinner days. I gotta get mine. You say, "Can you really afford that car?" No, but I gotta get mine. You gotta get yours. So do you really need a bigger TV? No, but I got to get mine. You got to get yours. See, every time an opportunity presents itself to you, if you see it as a blessing, you're going to live under a get yours mentality. And see, what we don't stop to acknowledge is that the get mine mentality makes us our children's competitors instead of their providers. I mean, just think of Hezekiah. Second Kings chapter 20. Old Hezekiah got sick. Prophet Isaiah shows up, you know, when the prophet shows up at your house, it's a nice thing. You cook him a nice meal. And uh, especially if you're dying, the prop and uh, Hezekiah says to the prophet Isaiah said, oh, it's good to see you. Uh, I got a question for you. Can you ask the Lord for me if I'm going to recover from this sickness? And the prophet Isaiah says, uh, got bad news for you. Hez. He says, I've asked the Lord. The Lord told me to tell you you're going to die. So get your household in order because you will not recover from your sickness. And Isaiah says, okay, see you later. He turns and leaves. And as he turns to leave, Hezekiah turns his face to the wall and begins to weep and wail before the Lord. He begins to cry out to God. Oh God, do you remember the way I've walked with you in the integrity of my heart? Do you remember? He cries out to God and he weeps and wails. And Isaiah didn't make it through the courtyard before the Lord stopped him in his tracks and says, go back to Hezekiah. And he goes back to Hezekiah and he, he says, this is what the Lord says. I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Surely I will heal you. Mm. Ooh, that's powerful, isn't it? I mean, you think about that. God had declared you're going to die. But the man wept and wailed and God changed his plan. I mean, he cried out to God and God heard his cry and changed his plan. What a powerful passage of scripture. What an encouragement to our prayer life that passage of scripture is. That if you cry out to the Lord, God might even change his plan because he hears your cries and he sees your tears. Amen. Then you get down to verse 12 of 2 Kings chapter 20. And uh, Hezekiah completely recovers. And Babylon sent some envoys over to see how he was doing. And when those envoys from Babylon showed up, he starts giving them a tour. Shows them his palace and everything in it. And then he gets more bold and he takes them into the temple. And he shows them every room of the temple. Places they're not even supposed to be in. Then he took them into the treasuries of the temple. And shows them all of the gold and the silver and all of the treasures of the temple. Shows it to them. Now, wait a minute. you got to think about this. It's like me having some guests come visit my house from out of town that I never met before. And I not only show them my house, but I take them to the church. First, at my house, I open up my bank accounts. And I show them everything I've got in the bank. Look at this. Look at, look at my, here's my bank accounts. It's one thing to show people, yeah, there's the living room, there's the diner, but, and here's my bank accounts. <laughs> you know, but then as if that's not enough, I take them to the church, go into the church office and log into the accounts and show them the login and say, and here's how much money we have in the church bank. Does that make any sense? Hezekiah, what are you, th- have you lost your mind? Hezekiah was tripping. And Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah is watching the whole thing go down. Isaiah's thinking, this man has lost his mind. What in the world is going on? And so after they leave, Isaiah comes to Hezekiah and he goes, so uh, who are those men? And uh, what did you show them? 
And Hezekiah said, oh, those men were from Babylon. And uh, I showed them everything. He said, what do you mean you showed them everything? He said, I showed them everything. He said, what do you mean you showed them everything? He said, there is nothing that we have that I didn't show them. And Isaiah said, here's the word of the Lord. The days are coming when all that is in your house and your sons will be carried off to Babylon. Literally what Isaiah is saying, you know what those envoys are doing? They're going to Babylon right now and they're saying, we got to go over there and take that place. Right now. He said, the days are coming when the king of Babylon is going to come in here and carry off everything that you showed those men. It's going to be carried off to Babylon and your sons are going to be carried off too. You know what Hezekiah said? The word that you have spoken is good. For he said, at least there will be peace in my days. You know what Hezekiah was saying? Hey, I got to get mine. What about your kids? They got to get theirs. But I got to get mine. Hezekiah was not thinking generationally. He didn't care that what he was doing would one day result in his sons being carried off in chains. You see, the problem with Hezekiah is that what he did, the problem with Hezekiah is what he did with his riches. He saw wealth as something to show off. You know, the story of Hezekiah reminds me of the parable of the rich fool in Luke chapter 12, verses 16 through 21. The scripture says of this rich man that his ground yielded an abundant harvest. And so he decided to tear down his barns and build bigger barns and store all of his surplus of grain. And then he says to himself, literally, he says to his soul, he says, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take your ease. He says, take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. You fool. Remember, we define who the fool is. The fool despises wisdom and instruction. God says, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. See, the problem was not that this rich man had riches. The problem was that he saw his riches as the end and not the means. See, the rich man in his barns revealed the deepest intent of his heart. After he got money, he was done. Money was the end that he sought. And when he got it, he delighted in it and he hoarded it. He was generous neither to the work of the Lord nor to the poor. And God said to him, you fool. Money is a means, not an end. Life is not about amassing riches. Riches are not supposed to be our source of security. Riches are an opportunity for generosity. The point is not that riches are evil. The point is that riches are not the point. His descendants are mighty in the land. His children will be mighty in the land. And that means that they do something, not just that they have something. When it says that they are mighty in the land, it means they do something in the land. Not just that they have something in the land. They contribute to society rather than just living off of what their parents have amassed. 
This is because the blessed man is intentional about how he uses money. Think about David and Solomon. David saved up this huge, David had this huge allotment with money. But what was the purpose of it? When he gave it to his son Solomon, he said, you are going to use this to build the house for the Lord. See, when we're talking about reserving an inheritance for our children, we're talking about setting aside a reserve that is to be used to build the house of the Lord. David understood that Solomon was to build the house, but had he not been thinking generationally, he would have thought, well, I guess Solomon's going to have to go on a building campaign and he's going to have to raise some money, probably sell some brownies and, you know, you know, sell some chicken dinners or something to raise money to build that temple. David wasn't thinking that way. He was thinking, I might have 20 years left of my reign. I'm going to use that time to raise the money my son needs to build that house because when it's his time, he's going to be mighty in the land. It took me 20 years to get this money. He's going to build the temple in a year. The blessed man is intentional about how he uses money. He's always thinking about the outcome of his present actions on the future of his children. He knows that the way that he uses money in the here and now is foundational for the way in which the generations to come will use money. And so the blessed man refuses to be like Hezekiah, whose choices resulted in his children being led away in chains. So your children are going to live in the chains of debt if you do it before their eyes. If you give your children that kind of an example, they're going to walk in it. Just as the Bible says, if you train a child in the way he should go, when he's old, he'll not depart from it. Actually, however you train your child, when he's old, he will not depart from it. If you train him in the way he should not go, guess what? When he's old, he will not depart from it. But if you teach your children to give, if you teach your children to save, if you teach your children to steward, if you teach your children to serve, that's the way they're going to walk in. And they will not Depart from it. Think generationally about your finances. And that means that your first priority, when you get money, your first priority is giving to the Lord, obeying his commands. But your second priority is using that to create your legacy. Saving. Investing. Setting it aside. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. Their descendants will be mighty in the land. You know, sometimes I get discouraged. Sometimes I feel like I don't know which way to go. I feel like decisions have to be made that I am not qualified to make. But whenever I get discouraged, I remember this verse. And I remember who I am. I remember my grandparents who evangelized and planted churches all over this nation. I remember being stopped on the street by individuals who said, I knew your grandfather, I knew your grandmother, and did you know that your grandfather built that church right down there? And it's still there today. People are still worshiping in it today. I remember the people that would walk up to my grandmother on the street when I traveled with her when she was on the evangelistic circuit, and people would walk up to her on the street and say, I was saved in your revival back in 1944, back in 1952, and now my son is a pastor. I can't tell you how many times people stopped us on the street to tell us that. When I get discouraged, I remember hearing my father pray 
when I was a little boy. I remember him laying me under a chair and laying his hands on me and dedicating my life to the Lord at a young age and knowing, hearing my father's prayers, that I belonged to the Lord and that he was going to use my life for his glory. And I remember my mother having many sleepless nights, crying out to the Lord in the living room, weeping before the Lord. I, would, I remember coming in sometimes at 2 o'clock in the morning saying, Mom, are you okay? And with tears in her eyes, she would smile through her tears and say, Baby, everything's fine. Go back to bed. And she would go back to crying out to God and seeking the face of God. I remember. I remember my grandmother on my mother's side teaching me how to pray, meeting me in the prayer chapel every day and saying, Benjamin, we're going to pray until you get filled with the Holy Spirit. Benjamin, we're going to pray every day until your father comes back to the Lord. Seeing her faith, seeing how she prayed herself through heart attacks when she should have went to the hospital, but she didn't know how to go to the hospital. She just knew how to pray, and she prayed herself through stuff that should have killed her. And I remember who I am. I remember that I am the descendant of the righteous. And his children will be mighty in the land. And I remember that I am mighty in the land. Why? Because I come from generations of righteousness. I am third or fourth generation servant of the Lord. And I bear the inheritance that was given to me. And so if you wonder why I can do things at a young age, if you wonder why I have the gifts that I have and the abilities that I have, and I've gone to where I've gone at a young age, I'll tell you why. It's because of the inheritance of righteousness that has been passed down to me from generation to generation. I am who I am because I am mighty in the land, because I am a descendant of a righteous man. I am the descendant of a righteous man, and because of that, I can't help but be blessed. I'm mighty in the land because my fathers feared the Lord. And I remember that I'm laying a foundation for my children that they will never outgrow. You see, I'm going to declare that my house will serve the Lord, that my my children will be mighty in the land. They will be blessed. Why? Because I'm making a decision that even though I'm the fourth generation, I'm also the first generation. Because my daughter, the first thing she's going to look back and see is my example. And today you need to make a decision to believe the same way for your children. But not only to believe for your children. You need to create an inheritance for them, both in the natural and in the spirit. Your descendants will be mighty in the land. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I ask you to come into this service right now. And I ask you to pour out your life and your blessing and your favor and your grace. Holy Spirit, I ask you to rest upon each heart and each mind. And I pray that you would remove that materialistic spirit that would keep us focused on the now. And I pray that the spirit of righteous men would come upon us. That we would begin to think generationally about the blessings that you pour out in our lives. Father, touch. Father, strengthen. Father, I pray, oh God, in Jesus' name, that you would begin to bring about generational restoration. Some people feel like this word is so far beyond beyond me. I didn't do this for my children, and they're coming under condemnation. But I break that condemnation off of you right now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I say, you can start today. I don't care what's happened or how far gone you are or how far you've come. You can turn around right now and begin today. And I'm saying that God is able to heal what has gone wrong in the past. You can't change it, but you can start Today, what God is after is your heart and your mindset. Children, and not just your natural children, but the people of God 
There's a generation beneath you that's looking up to you and you're going to leave them an inheritance of righteousness that's going to cause them to be mighty in the land. Make a decision today. Father, I just speak your blessing over each of these sons and daughters of yours and I pray that you'd allow this word to sink into every heart and every mind. I give you glory for it. In the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.